But Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And uh, we've, been, we've been going through the book of Revelation. There's a lot of different ways you can look at Revelation. Some people look at it as a book about end times. And uh, we haven't totally taken that approach, although I do think the Revelation has a lot to say to us about end times, especially when you connect it with Ezekiel and Daniel and the rest of Scripture and some of the apocalyptic literature. Um, and my thoughts on those are, um, there, were, there were prophecies that were given about Jesus' first coming, the one we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks. And those prophecies, some of them were things like, a virgin will give birth to a child, which you're like, that <laughs> <It> can't happen. <laughs> that's got to be allegorical, or that's got to be metaphorical. And, th- and there was meaning for that, that God was going to do something impossible, yes, that was a good message to get out of that for the people at that time as they were waiting for um, to see what God would do with Messiah. That he'd be born in Bethlehem or, or that there would, he would be coming out of Egypt. These were all these different things that, you know, they were trying to put it together. And for them, that, that was like their book of Revelation in some ways as they were trying to figure out what it was going to be like when Messiah came. But then when Messiah came, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the virgin actually did give birth to the son. And so all what seemed allegorical and metaphorical was now realized as practical and in living color. And so I have this kind of suspicion where I, I, I'm, criti- I'm pretty critical in most of my thinking and suspicious of almost everything. And, and so when I hear people using the words of Revelation to prophesy about the way things will be in the end times, like my nor- nor- natural response is like, no way, this is, no, that's, it's just metaphorical, allegorical. But then when I connect it with what took place in Jesus' first coming, I have to have some pause and just think, well, there might be a lot more to it than we're comfortable admitting and so we do, I do kind of take a different approach in that, where I really try and listen in and see what those things might be. But, but, but that's not necessarily the way we've been addressing it this time. Some people use um, the, the churches, the seven churches, as kind of a depiction of different eras of church history. I've heard that, and it's actually an interesting study. Some of you might have been into that, and I, I don't know exactly what to do with it, except for I think it's just interesting. Um, and some people are always trying to get a timeline, you know, looking for are we all-millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. You know, we kind of get into all these type of things. Where's the rapture out in all of this? And, and uh, if you've heard those words, I think those, those are fine. Again, I love eschatology. I love the study of all those things. I think we're supposed to be thinking about these type of things. Paul actually says, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. Um, but at the same time, Uh, we have a lot of guessing going on, a lot of theories, right? Um, And the truth that we really know is that for a long time, the Old Testament saints, they had this anticipation of justification. They believed that Messiah would come. They believed what Abraham said to his son in the book of Genesis, God will provide himself a sacrifice, And the kind of this interesting poetic interaction between Abraham and his son. Abraham was believing and he was doing a statement of faith to his son that God will provide himself a sacrifice as he was going up to sacrifice his son, right, Isaac? 
And so there's this kind of thing. God will provide a sacrifice for the trouble and the pain and the sin and the sickness in the world. That's what they had anticipation for, that, that God would send someone, that God would come, and he would, he would bring justification. He would make it possible for us to be washed clean and right before him. And then Jesus came, and he provided that sacrifice on the cross. Needed to happen. And then he ascended into the, upper, uh, to the heavens, and, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and now we've basically begun a new prophetic calendar And the prophetic calendar that we're on is we're again in a place of anticipation, but we're not anticipating justification. That's what Jesus already did. And we, by faith, look back to that moment of justification where the Old Testament saints, by faith, looked forward to that justification. You tracking with me? You're like, man, it's like not even 10 o'clock this morning. I know, but this is important. But now our anticipation is not for justification, because that already took place, the blood of Jesus. Our anticipation is for glorification. Oh. If you don't know about glorification, today's a good day to be in church. Um, We already sang a little bit about it. Glorification is pictured in, uh, sorry, I'm not texting right now. I'm actually looking for When we sang, I see you there hanging on the tree, you bled and then you died and you rose again for me and now you're seated in the heavenly throne and soon we will be coming home. Glorification is all about going home, the restoration of all things. When we arrive at eternity's shore where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bell rings, your bride will come together and we'll sing, you're beautiful. This is is our anticipation. This is what we are looking forward to now in this dispensation that we're in. And how it all shakes down as far as, you know, Christ coming again, I don't know. I don't know. I have my guesses. We could talk about it if you want. It'd be fun. But ultimately, what we do know is that Jesus is coming again. He is coming, and this time it's about glorification. So the destruction of Babylon, for the doing away with the whore of Babylon, the, the great tribulation, the, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, all of these things, the restoration of all things, all of these things are all connected to that glorification that has been promised from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end. And our hearts filled with the Spirit, we long for and groan. Even creation, the Bible says, groans within itself to see the glorification of the sons of men. This is, this is what everything is headed towards. And so it's funny because Christmas time for me is, is always a time where I do. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, thank you for coming. I'm so awesome. I'm so thankful for that. But also like, where you at, man? Where you at? Like Christmas reminds me to be thankful that Jesus came, but it also leads me to remember this, this is undone. Like this Christmas is great, but I'm really excited about the next Christmas. Like Christmas point 2.0 or whatever. The glorification Christmas instead of just the justification Christmas. So anyways, I'm sorry if I ruined your Christmas, but welcome to my world. Um, So there's a lot of different ways. What we've done it is we've kind of taken this letter to the seven churches that in the letter there's a message to each of the specific churches, and it all has basically the same prose, kind of a repetition for each of them. 
Um, and we, the way we've unpacked it is we started out with to the words of, or, or the words of him who, and then each church got a description of Jesus, and we talked about all you ever need is more Jesus. Then each church, it says to the angel, and it's debate about whether the angel was the actual pastor or whether the angel is some super supernatural being that is assigned to that church. We don't know, but what we learned was that everything we do impacts both realms, the spirit and the natural realm. Um, Jesus said to all the churches, I know your deeds, and it was a time of affirmation where he was saying, this is beautiful about you, and it always had to do with patient endurance and prudent resistance. And then he says, I have, against, I have this against you to each of the churches, and that was not my favorite teaching. Um, but basically how God hates false teaching, he hates when we tolerate false teaching in our communities, in our families, and he will destroy all that is counterfeit, which is a wonderful promise. And then last week we learned here what the Spirit is saying to the churches, the collective universal reality of the church that it not only spans the entire globe, the followers of Christ, but also spans the ages, hearkening back to the time when Jesus was here, but even into Old Testament saints. We're all connected as this one beautiful bride that God is, is, is calling out. That's the, the word church means to call out, ecclesia. It's to call out. God is calling people out of the world, out of what is natural, out of the formation that this world brings into this spiritual being, into these people of God, into this city, into this kingdom of priests, into this bride ultimately that is set apart for him forevermore. And you and I get to be a part of that because of what Jesus did. Amen, I got an amen. I didn't even have to say, give me an amen. It just came out, awesome. We're gonna need some amens today. Okay, so all of that brings us to today. To him who is victorious, I will give is the phrase. I will give, and we're gonna talk about rewards. Who likes rewards? Yeah, I should have brought some candy right now and thrown it out, but you haven't earned it. Just kidding. No, you have earned it. You're here. You made it here. That's a big deal. So the, when the Bible talks about rewards, it, talk, it, it has no, no um, qualms about calling God a rewarder. Jesus had no problem saying to his disciples, the reason you should do this is because of a reward. Um, Jesus himself said in one example, give, because then it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Jesus is encouraging them to give by the reward that God will bring that is so much richer than anything they could give. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's impossible to please God without believing that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know that God is a rewarder? Every single thing you do for God, he marks in his book. And he thinks for a minute, what am I going to get him for that? And he's way better than all those guys on Hallmark Channel. And they're super, like, thoughtful, romantic gifts or whatever. He's like, he's got creativity. He's like, bam, I'm going to drop this on him. And you watch what's going to happen to his soul when I give him this reward because of this thing. This is the God. He's, that's what he's doing. His thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the seashore in number. So what is he thinking about? He's thinking about what reward he can give you for that sacrifice you made for him. He's using all of his om, omniscience just to figure out how to reward you for what you did for that person that nobody else knew about, but he knows about. Whew, we got an awesome God. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul's encouraging his people, do, not, do you not know that all the, race, the, the racers, do you know not, oh my goodness, what service is this, fifth service or something? 
Do you not know, <laughs> I almost messed up again. Do you not know in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. There's a prize. There's a reward that God has for you. Um, and ultimately, Revelation 22, 12, John, after he gives us this whole bunch of stuff to chew on, in chapter 22, he's kind of given some final thoughts and the image that he leaves us, the image of Jesus that he leaves burned into the people's minds that were reading this is this. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they've done. So what he wants you to see from Revelation is he wants you to see that Jesus is on his way right now. Every single day, we're closer to Jesus and he's closer to us. And he's bringing with him rewards. Santa Claus got nothing on Jesus. Because the rewards he gives are very different than the stuff of earth. So today, the goal of my message, um, just in case it doesn't work, you know what I was trying to do, um, is talk about that race. So every marathon runner, every racer, you know that it gets hard, it gets heavy, you're running, you're running, you're running, your knees start to hurt, your ankles start to hurt, you're like, why did I get these shoes? These shoes are no good, I should have got the other shoes. You know, everything's just starting to bother you, stomach feeling sick, you're gonna puke, all these things, and they're just running and running and running. And then every once in a while, or then at some point in the race, no matter how fatigued you are, how beat down you are, if you get a glimpse of the finish line, something happens. All of a sudden, you're like, these shoes are awesome. Oh, that knee's not that bad. And you just start thinking about the food you're going to eat <laughs> once you get across that finish line and all these things. But there's something about getting a glimpse of the finish line that really does help you endure, help you run the race. And that's what we're doing today. At the end of each of these little messages that Jesus gave to the church, he gives them a glimpse of the reward. A glimpse of the finish line. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bulk up. I know some of you are going through real adversity. Within your own soul, within the flesh within you that's warring against God, your own disordered desires are beating you down and causing you to feel weary and you're wrestling with them and you're denying of them. And I want you to know that Jesus, he's very aware of that and he's got rewards for you. What you're doing is not in vain, but it's producing something very beautiful and there's no way other, other way to get it. And maybe you're in a situation where the world around you is just driving you crazy, wearing you out, always in opposition. Every time you say anything or do anything, you catch a ton of flack. Well, you need to know that there's rewards. Every single one of those things, every time you stand up for what is right, Jesus is keeping track, and there's a reward. And that's what this goal of this message is today, is to help us get a little bit more fuel in the tank for the journey that's, that's, that we're going into. So let's look at these rewards. Revelation chapter 2, to the first church, the church in Ephesus, it says this, to the one who is victorious, that's a key, and we're going to talk about that next week more, but to the one who is victorious, to the one who is faithful to the end, is what one of the passages says, to the one who overcomes to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The next church, the one who is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. The next church, 
To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. <laughs> what? I thought you were talking about rewards. We'll get into it. We'll, we'll unpack these a little bit because they sound a little crazy right now. I know. We're in Revelation. Um, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give vic- authority over the nations. That one will rule with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Now those are connected and hopefully we'll make sense of that. Revelation 3, 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. This is fun stuff. Revelation 3.21, the last church, even though Laodicea was like, "Mm, not that great of a church as far as the other stuff. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay. This is not what Santa Claus brings to town. These are not the kind of rewards that the economy of earth really values. But hopefully I'm going to unpack these in a way that help us understand a little bit about the economy of heaven And also put a little fuel in our tank. And maybe you're going to be hit by a lot of these, but maybe one of these will stand out with you totally fine either way. And uh, I'm just going to be kind of glossing over them and kind of pointing at them. And so I encourage you, go deeper in some of these things. If it's striking a chord with you, say, okay, Lord, take me dirt, take me deeper, take me further. Uh, Because we only have a a limited amount of time today, like four hours. So, Uh, but But, but again, give me some amens um, as you feel the Lord stir up something in your soul, because that would be cool. So First Church Ephesus, I will give to either the right um, from the tree of life. Now, I've just kind of tried to assess what I really think is going on with each of these rewards, and then I'm actually going to use passages from the rest of Revelation to interpret. It's really good to use Revelation to interpret Revelation. It's really good to use the Scriptures to interpret Scriptures. It's the best place to go. So Revelation um, 22, 1 through 2 talks about eating of the tree of life. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its streets. On either side of the river was the tree of life. One tree, but on either side of the river. It's kind of a cool picture. And it was bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this is why I think when, when the promise comes of the reward to this first church in Ephesus, that they'll get to eat of the tree of the life, I think it has to do with healing. And all of us know that when we get to heaven, when we get to this time of glorification, when Jesus returns, he's going to bring us to a place where we will be healed. Healed physically, no doubt about it. Jesus gave the appetizers of that. When he came, he went around and he healed people to show them that this is what God can do. And why not everyone gets healed all the time is because we're not there yet. But God gives us glimpses into that. And still today, people get healed as these appetizers to remind us all of what God has in store for us. 
And it's fun. We've been experiencing some of that here in our church, people getting healed. And again, these are, these are beautiful healings, but on that day, they are permanent healings. They are forever more healings. And they're not just physical. I think about my daughter. My daughter's in a wheelchair, and we talk about it. She's got a good eschatology. She's like, it's going to be sweet when I'm running around jumping and kicking people. And that is, that is a beautiful reward that God has promised, that we will receive healing. But it's more than that. It's also emotional. With the mental health crisis and a lot of what 2020 brought, we all got to see a lot more of our brokenness, our sickness in our souls. And some of us have taken those things on and really tried to go through counseling and different things to try and get free from those things, get healed by some of those things. But some of us through all of that have realized you know what, I think we just kind of have a limp in our soul that we just have to manage until the day we get that final healing. And that's okay because that final healing is a promise that God has made to you, that you will one day relate to others without that insecurity, without that fear, without that brokenness. Somebody's got to say amen to that, right? Maybe you're like, hey, I don't want to say amen right now because then they're thinking, I got problems. And it's like, hey, we all got problems. So it's okay to not be okay in this place. Um, so anyways, that, that's a little bit of the healing and it's, and it's full and it's complete and it's a promise of God, this deep, um, this deep healing. To the next church, Smyrna, that they will not be hurt by the second death. Um, Revelation chapter, uh, where is it? Revelation chapter 21 says this, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So basically, that's describing all of us, apart from the blood of Christ. Those who have received the forgiveness that comes from the blood of Christ, even though they were these things, they no more are. And we will be saved from the second death. And the second death is, is the death that comes after the first death. The first death is what you and I all go through. It's natural death. Everyone dies. It's a super bummer thing to say, but it's true. Like, you can't fight it. Even Lazarus. Lazarus is like, no, man, not everyone dies. I died. Now they check me out. I'm walking out. But then Lazarus still died after that, which is like, I'm glad they don't really talk about that. Because then it's just like, it's really like, well, how long was he alive after he rose? But that's not resurrection. That's not the life that we are promised. The life that we are promised is the resurrection life, the kind of life that Jesus is the first fruits of, the kind of life that death has no more say, no more sting, no more shadow of death on that life. And I, and I hate to have to bring this up, but I would not be doing a good job of the Bible if I didn't. The concept of hell It's biblical. That if you choose in this life to have nothing to do with Jesus, if you reject God in this life, God gives you that gift in the life to come. He honors whatever kind of sovereignty you have over your soul. It's always submitted to his sovereignty, but if that's really your decision, he's not going to force himself on you. But hell, the lake of fire, the second death, was created for the devil and his angels, is what the Bible says. 
But sad to say, there are people who reject God and they find themselves going to that same place. But not so for the ones who patiently endure and prudently resist until the day Jesus comes, who follow Jesus, who are faithful to Jesus. They will be saved from the second death. They will be saved from that kind of horror an existence apart from God. And I hate how heavy that teaching is, I understand, but if it's true, it's true. And if it's true, the most unloving thing you could do is pretend it's not true. All right, let's get to a happier one. Uh, the next one. Um, to the church in Pergamum, I will give the hidden manna and a white stone with a name that basically only you and God know. That's wild stuff. And when I hear that, I think of intimacy. And some of the guys in the room were like, oh, great, this guy's talking about intimacy. So, well, you like intimacy whether you act like you don't or not. We all long for intimacy. We want to have intimacy. We want to be known and loved as we truly are, not just kind of the mask that we put out there. And accept it even, even with, with the, the ugly parts and places of our lives. And that's what intimacy is. In Revelation 21 and 22, it speaks about the bride of the lamb, that those who are faithful to the end, those who overcome, those who endure, those who are covered in the blood of Jesus, we become the bride of the lamb. Again, guys are like, ugh. But I, and I get it, that's hard, but just use your mind. You can figure it out. Like we're the bride of the lamb. We, we come together and there's this intimacy between us and Jesus. It's not a sexual thing, but it's an intimacy thing. And it's beautiful, and, and you might not care about it now, but on that day when, when you stand before Jesus, you're going to care about it. You're going to care about it. And it says that the bride of the Lamb will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Again, I just think of intimacy. They will be marked by God. You basically will be saying, this one is mine. This one belongs to me. And we talk about the mark of the beast in Revelation. That's like, anybody, what's the mark of the beast? What is the mark of the beast? Does it have the mark of the beast? Who cares about the mark of the beast? Once you got the mark of God, you don't got to worry about the mark of the beast. The Bible talks more about the mark of God than the mark of beast. Ezekiel talks about the mark of God. Twice in Revelation talks about the mark of God. Go for the mark of God. Intimacy. And this stone, it's an interesting thing, but it, it's kind of like... Um, this, this, this intimacy, this knowledge that only you and Jesus know, the hidden man, it's this, it's you're coming together and you have this connection, you have this inside joke, so to speak, with you and Jesus. You're in, you're not left out anymore. But there's intimacy, and some of you have struggled with intimacy your entire life for whatever reason, maybe because of things that you've done, maybe because of things that have been done to you. But the promise that Jesus has for you, if you stick with him, if you hold his hand, you will find yourself in the fullness of intimacy that you were created for. That's the promise of God. Next is responsibility. <laughs> no amens to that? I agree, I agree. Responsibility, everybody's like, what? If you're young in the room, you're like, forget it, man. My parents are always talking about responsibility. But, but just track with me here for a second. Responsibility in the sense of purpose. When someone gives you responsibility, it means they trust you. Responsibility is, is having something to do. It's having work. It's having calling. And uh, this is what 
um, Revelation 5, 9 through 10 says, you are worthy, talking about Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Time and time again, there's this talk about reigning on the earth. There's this, this we will rule and reign with Christ in this next life. And I know it's bizarre because we just keep thinking a little like angels up on harps and clouds and stuff. It's like, that, we're just gonna be sitting up there playing harps. Well, if that's, if that's the job God gives you, yes, that's what you do. But everybody else will have another job. Some of you might be super good at the harp and like floating on clouds. And Jesus can be like, bam, I got this figured out for you. Um, I want you to do that. And you're just gonna love it. And you're gonna do good. And it's gonna be beautiful, whatever it is. But for the rest of us, he's gonna be like, no, you are not good at that. Your harp playing is weak and you just sink through the clouds all the time. You haven't figured it out. So we gotta get you some job. But God is going to give us a job, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, in that place of innocence and beauty without sin at all. They had a job to, to tend the garden, to, to kind of you know, be fruitful and multiply, to take the beauty that was there and, and continue to, to foster it and create more and cultivate more of it. And somehow we are in this new heaven and new earth. We're gonna be kind of living in the new Jerusalem and we're gonna be caring for whatever's going on in the new heaven and new earth. And that's about all I can say about it because I don't know anymore. But we're gonna have a responsibility. We're gonna have purpose. And to some extent, everything we do in this life is preparation. Death is the graduation into what we really were meant to be. And so all of the challenges and struggles you have in life, you might be thinking like, oh, this is brutal. But this is God saying, no, I gotta train you up because I got a big job for you in the life to come. And I love that. I love that God will trust us, that we'll be able to work for him without all of the challenges that we have now. That's part of the reward that God wants to give us. And the morning star, just real quick, Isaiah alludes to this, but basically um, it's the passage that people use to, to talk about like a, maybe a theology of the devil, but it's actually talking about the king of Babylon and, and all these things. But it's basically that, 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 there's, that God gave the morning star and it has to do with like dominion and ruling and the idea of, throughout the Bible would be like God gave the morning star, that, that iron scepter, that, that, that dominion to Adam and Eve over the earth. And they were supposed to cultivate garden over the whole earth. But instead, they decided they had a better idea. And they wanted to be like God themselves. Remember, the devil said, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And they thought, cool, I'll be like God. That's what I want to be. And so they ended up eating of that fruit. And when they did that, they actually gave dominion over to the serpent. And the serpent then comes to Jesus and is like, hey, I can give you all the dominion over the whole earth if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus was like, no, I don't want to do that. He didn't say, you don't have dominion. He said, I don't want to do that. And then Jesus, through the death and resurrection of the cross, actually gained that dominion back from the devil and is set down at the right hand of the Father until the day comes where God says, okay, take the authority that you gained through the cross and go bring restoration to the earth. Go be the second Adam and bring it back to the garden that we intended it to be. I don't know why we're waiting. I wish it happened like the day after I was born. Maybe, or yesterday, maybe before last week, because last week was a rough week for me. I don't know. But God knows in his timing, and that is the plan. That's the anticipation for justification that we're going through. So that's the, um, 
responsibility part. The cleansing, Revelation 7, 13 through 14, um, is the next church. It talks about being dressed in white and not having your name blotted out. Um, the cleansing. And uh, then Revelation 7, 13 to 14, one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we carry this weight of shame and guilt. And the shame and guilt every day wrestle and war against forgiveness and cleansing. And we're constantly in this battle where some days we just feel the full weight of shame and guilt and we try and get to a place where we say, no, I'm forgiven. But there's a battle, there's a war, there's a challenge. But on this day, we will all be able to confess 100% clearly we are forgiven. We are washed. We will finally in that day see ourselves the way God sees us because of the blood of the lamb. Now, some of you, that might not be hard. You think you're really cool, and that's great. But for the rest of us, we're very aware of our sin. We're very aware of our weakness. And we battle with it all the time. And so this is a beautiful reward that Jesus has in mind for you and for me. That one day we'll really get to see ourselves clean, just as if we'd never sinned at all. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Uh, next one, belonging. We've got two more. Track with me here. Um, Philadelphia, you'll be a pillar in the temple. You will never leave it, and, your name, and, and his name will be written on you. Um, and I think this speaks of belonging, the idea of belonging. It's not some a real popular word. It's not like people are going, man, I just, I just want to belong. But that is a deep longing in our hearts, especially those who maybe don't have family. Maybe those who've, um, who've been, who've, who've, who've parents have left them or, or they've been divorced. You just, you kind of all of a sudden have this place where I don't really belong anymore. Sad to say there's people who sometimes can be single and of a certain age in the church and they're like, I don't really know how I fit into this whole thing. And so there's this pain and this agony where I don't know how I belong. And ultimately all of that is just a longing that God has placed in us to to belong where we really belong, and that's with him and his family. And the way Revelation says it in um, Revelation chapter 21, it says, those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. And they'll never have to leave again. There will never be broken home again. There will never be broken home again. You'll never have to leave that home. You'll be like a pillar in the temple. And he will have your name. You will have his name. You won't be a Stockton. That's weak and frail. You'll have the name of God. A family that will never disappoint and will never make you feel left out and will never be broken. That's a promise. And the last one, this one's weird, but this one is the one that actually spoken to me the most recently. Um, and it's to Laodicea. Again, they weren't doing things very well, but Jesus was encouraging them with this, that they will sit with Jesus on his throne. If they hold onto his hand and they follow him, they will find themselves sitting with him on the throne. And, uh, and the word that I put at attached to this is vindication. Not vengeance, 
Vengeance is the Lord's. We don't have to worry about vengeance. We shouldn't long for vengeance. Even though we can cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, you should avenge this. This is making me really mad. Ultimately, it's the Lord's business, but I do think it's okay for us to long for vindication. More and more as what we believe and what we stand on and stand for as followers of Christ, as people of the book, is becoming more and more unpopular in the world around us. And it's becoming more and more contentious even within the communities that we're a part of and the friendships that we have. It's becoming more and more hostile, more and more painful to really adhere to a biblical ethic or a biblical worldview. And I'm not sure it's going to get easier. We can always pray for awakening that leads to repentance, that leads to revival, that leads to renewal. It's happened many times before, and I'm hopeful. But if it doesn't, or if it only comes to a certain segment of society, there may be an increase of hostility. And what John was saying to the people at his day is it's common. And they'd went through about 100 years of very, very intense persecution on the followers of Christ, including being fed to lions and all of those stories that we've heard. And yet the promise that Jesus brought to this church was that if they stay true, if they continue to do the things that God is asking them to do, there will come a day where they will be seated right next to Jesus on his throne. And it's almost like no words need to be spoken. Nothing needs to be said, but basically the approval of that gift that God would give to them, of sitting next to him on the throne, is just total vindication. For all the things that they did and they were accused or ridiculed or persecuted for. All the times they were just doing their best to do what the Spirit was telling them to do. And people took it the wrong way or twisted it in some interesting way. Jesus has in mind to bring about vindication. To make sure everyone knows that what you did for him, he received and it was good. And so that might be a promise that some of you need to hear today as you're continuing to try and practice the prudent resistance and patient resistance. No, patient endurance, sorry. So a couple things just to wrap up here before we take communion and and finish this up and go watch the Cardinals. What? That's not in my notes. (laughs) Um, The rewards that Jesus gives us are different than the rewards we get in this life. A lot of times the rewards in this life are disconnected with the action. But somehow in the kingdom of heaven, the rewards are connections. Like in this, in this life, especially like upstairs with the third and fifth graders right now, they answer a question right, they get a piece of candy. There's no real connection between candy and question. It's just like trying to get them to not scream and hurt somebody. So you give them candy. Um, and then they go home with you full of candy and then they scream and hurt people. Um, <laughs> amen? <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, but look at it like this. So, so there's a reward that I long um, to to be able to see. And that's the look in my wife's eyes and the the experience she has when I say to her after 50 years of faithfulness to her, I love you. Like year one on our anniversary, I was like, I love you. And it literally sounded like a squeak from a mouse. I love you. Like, well, great. It's been one year. What is that worth? 
but 50 years of faithfulness to my wife. I long so badly to be able to experience the reward of that action. And there's only one way that I can do that. That, That's if I will be faithful for 50 years, then I have the right, then I have become victorious and I get to experience and she gets to experience that reward. You see how that connections. That's the way the kind of Bible, they're all connected. And so um, to unpack that real quick, you know, for healing, as you heal others, you will find yourself being healed both in this life and then, and then ultimately the life to come. Some of you have already experienced that. You know that. When you go on a mission trip, you're like, I came down here to help these people, but I received so much more help than anything I could ever give. Next one, life. As you give your life, Jesus, the way he said, as you lose your life, as you give your life to others, you will find life. That's the way the kingdom of heaven works. By participating in vulnerability and honesty, you will find intimacy. By fostering those times of honesty and vulnerability, you will actually find yourself increasing in your intimacy and your ability to be intimate. Jesus said, if you're faithful, if you're faithful in the little responsibility I give you, you'll be given more responsibility. It's the kingdom of heaven. You turn sinners from unrighteousness by doing cleansing, by practicing that. You'll find yourself shining clean and cleansed and bright like the stars in the sky. If you become a family to those who don't have family, you'll find your family increasing. Think of David with all the 600 men that came to him out in the wilderness who were disgruntled, distressed, and in debt. They're losers. But David accepted them in and they became his mighty men. He found family by by being family for others. And then lastly, if we speak up for others and speak up for Jesus, we know the promises that Jesus will speak speak up for us before the Father and his angels. You see how it just works together. The reward is tied with the gift and, and with the action. And so our call is to prudent resistance and patient endurance. And somehow when we practice those things, we find those things at the same time. I long to see the reward of my daughters after all this faithfulness and love and care that I give to them for them to bring their children to me to be blessed the way that I blessed them after decades of faithfulness. I long to see what a community like ours rooted and grounded in the prudent resistance made possible by the Spirit and the Word of God, what it can produce in our world. I long to see the beautiful resilience and maturity that can be produced by a community committed to the kind of patient endurance that brings glory to God and peace on earth. A couple specific things. If you're young here, the world right now is telling you that the biblical prescription for sex is outdated, in need of some progress, maybe oppressive. This might seem weird to you, but I want to tell you that there's a beautiful reward that you can give a spouse someday of purity and chastity. And it is a really beautiful reward. And the world might tell you otherwise, but just Hear from me, a pastor, hear from the word of God that 
That's something that you really want to be able to give. There's only one way you can do it. And for those of you who maybe you say, well, that ship has sailed (laughs) quite some time ago. Well, with God, you can really start the clock again. And you can practice purity and be able to win those battles and bring the spoils of that war into your marriage. And ultimately, you can even pass some of that stuff on to your kids to begin to win that war. But you also might need to hear this. I remember a dad calling me one time, and he had messed up a lot sexually, and now he had no family and no marriage, and yet he still had kids. And the kids were now growing up, and they were beginning to go through their own struggles with sexuality and even some gender dysphoria. And he was calling me in a panic. He was calling me with great distress because he knew that what he had done had helped cause what they were now going through. And he was just heart sick, and he's like, what do I do? What do I do? And I just felt the Spirit whisper to me an encouragement for him to really begin to become an expert on forgiveness. That, that what he can do now is he can get to a place where he really understands the full depth of what it means to be forgiven by Jesus. Because there was a day coming when his kids were going to come to him and say, Dad, I've blown it. I've messed up. I don't know what to do. How do I get rid of this, this, this shame, this guilt? How do I get free? How can I function at all anymore? And if he could have done the, if he had done the work from that point up, if he had done the work of figuring out what forgiveness really was, he would be able to offer them some sort of beautiful treasure that at that time would be more valuable than any kind of purity talk he could give. And that's the way Jesus finds us. He comes to us and he was tested in every way like we were, like we are, yet without sin. And so he has the answer to whatever dilemma we find ourselves in. He's, these rewards, he didn't just have because he's God and he just kind of, he actually passed through earth, he passed through heaven, he passed through hell, he went to the cross so that he could give these rewards in a way that no one else could give. He's done the work so that you and I can be free no matter what we carry to him in every situation. And so lastly, the last thing is if you don't know Jesus, ah! you don't get the rewards that he has. And I'm not saying that because any of us are better than you or we're, we're all fallen short of the glory. We're all broken. But some of us have owned that brokenness, confessed it to Jesus and said, Jesus, will you come and make me whole? And that was it. That was all it took. And now we do that every day. (laughs) And every day we are getting closer to Jesus' return, just like every day Jesus is getting closer to us. And there will come a day where John wants us to know and I want us to know that Jesus is coming. He says, look and see, he's coming. And he's bringing his rewards with him. 
And if you don't know Jesus today, all you have to do is get to know Jesus today and all the rewards become yours in an instant because of the work he did on the cross. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you've given us. And uh, we just ask that you would meet us here in this place. We need more of you, Lord. We need strength. We need hope. We need a vision of the finish line. 